All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, once again, thank you for, man, what a, what a, a precious, uh, pure time of, of worship. And Lord, how it just blessed my heart this morning. And it just brought joy into my heart, Lord, to, to sing praises to you. Uh, we're so grateful for that, Lord. And just thank you, thank you for that, Lord, for the time that we've had this morning, Lord, to open up our hearts and our, our minds and lifting our hands to you in worship, Father, Lord, that we draw close to you and we, we get a different perspective as we look to you, Father, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts here this, this morning, those who are here right now and those who are listening uh, online, live stream, Lord. And I, I pray, Lord, that you would just make yourself known to us today. And Father, I decrease that you would increase. I empty myself of myself, so fill me with yourself. That everything that I say and do, every thought that enters my mind would be of you and not of me. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles or Bible app, turn to Proverbs chapter 28. Proverbs chapter 28. We're almost done with this book. Yeah, right? It's been a, a wonderful journey so far. I mean, I, I, God has really, has really ministered to my heart through this whole book and right, checking my heart and growing in wisdom. Amen? And so we're now in part 29 of Wisdom That Works. Say, Wisdom That Works. And before we dive into the text, as always, I want to do a quick review from last week's text and that was all of chapter 27. I gave you five points. And the first point was don't boast or brag, say that. And that's in verses 1 through 3. And there Solomon, he warns us against living as if we're in control of our own destiny. And then Solomon says don't praise yourself. In other words, don't blow or toot your own horn. Don't call attention to yourself. Stay away from self-promotion and let others brag about you. The second point was more dangerous than anger, say that. More dangerous than anger, that's in verse 4 of chapter 27. And uh, Solomon basically saying that while jealousy doesn't burn as hot and violently as rage, a jealous feeling can persist until it leads to an act of revenge. The third point was the best friend. Say that. The best friend, verses, excuse me, verses 5 through 18. Verses 5 through 18. And a best friend, a true friend, is one who will tell you the truth, who has a spiritual guts, say spiritual guts, to correct you, to be honest with you, uh, to wound you with loving correction. And then Solomon says, don't forsake your friends because when hard, difficult times come your way, you're going to need them to stand with you. You're going to need them to help you through it. Then he says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man, excuse me, one man sharpens, in other words, improves or develops another. The fourth point was more reflective than a mirror, say that. <clears throat> In a mirror, verses 19 through 22, and Solomon says, As water shows and reflects your face, what's in your heart shows and reflects and also reveals what kind of person you really are. And then Solomon, what he does, he applies the idea of testing uh, to praise, using it to measure a man, and it shows what he's really like. And if, if the man, if he gloats over it, he shows himself to be arrogant. But if he accepts the praise modestly, he shows his humility. The fifth point was diligent stewardship. Say that. Diligent stewardship, verses 23 to 27 of chapter 27. And 
Solomon basically says, if, if, you're, if you're diligent, if you're hardworking, if you're wise, if you're vigilant, um, if, if you give attention to and, and know well the state of your wealth, of your business, you're, you know, you're a good steward of what you have. He's saying if you do that, if you're a good steward of what you have, you will have more than enough to meet your needs, and not only your needs, but your family's needs as well. It's not only going to bless and be a blessing to you, but also to those around you. Say amen to that. This, brings now, this now brings us to today's text. The title of my message today is Sin Confessed. Everyone say that. Four points. If you're ready, say yes. Now, point number one is a stable government. A stable government. Now, you'll notice as we go through these passages, some of the verses under these points don't really pertain to that point, but I'm trying to draw from one of the main verses of the, of the point. Got it? Okay, a stable government, verses one through three. Verse one, the wicked man flees, though no one pursues. I want to stop there. This proverb notes one tendency of a guilty conscience, and that is to be, listen now, to be defensive even without an accusation. In other words, they're paranoid, always looking around, always looking over the shoulder. In other words, they live in fear. But, he says, but, there's that contrast, right, that that contrast, but the righteous, say righteous, are as bold as a lion. In other words, they have nothing to fear. As a lion has nothing to fear, the righteous, right, have nothing to fear. Why? Because they have a clear conscience, right? We don't live with a guilty conscience, right? We live with a clear conscience. And verse 2 says this, when a country is rebellious, it has many rulers. I want to stop there. Unrest and rebellion brings about constant change in government, and we see that all the time. Right, undergoing constant changing of leadership direction ultimately is, is unstable, right? It's unstable. It's prone to chaos. It's, it's prone to rebellion. But a man or slash a ruler of understanding, say understanding, and, and, and knowledge, say knowledge, maintains order. Got it? Listen, when, when a wise, faith-filled, godly leader is in power, this leads a nation toward stability and security. Can I get an amen? In other words, justice will prevail under this kind of leadership, and it helps maintain social order. So we need more godly leaders. Amen? Verse 3, a ruler, uh, your Bibles might render it as a poor man who oppresses the poor, is like a driving rain that leaves no crops. Now, now some commentators suggest this proverb is meant to express what happens when a formerly poor person who is now a ruler or a leader forgets his humble beginnings and takes advantage of the people. Are you guys with me? It's like a, a beating rain that destroys the crops. And you know, you know, you would expect the poor person to have sympathy for others who are poor, right? Right? I mean, right? And sadly, sometimes they're less compassionate. And what comes to mind as I, I read this text, what comes to mind is the parable in Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 through 25. Most of you might know that parable. It's about an, an unforgiving servant. And, and the man who, this is the man who begs his master to forgive his debt. And the master does. He, he, he canceled the debt of this man and he let this man go. Didn't have to do any kind of prison time. Well, that man then goes and assaults another man that owes him money, and he begins to choke him. Are you guys with me? 
choke him and grab him, choke him, and tells him to pay back what he owes him. That just ain't right, right? And that's exactly what Solomon was driving at. It's like a driving rain that leaves no crops. A ruler, a poor man who oppresses the poor. Say a stable government. Number two is, and I love this, is blessings of the blameless. Say that. Love this. Blessings of the blameless. Now, blameless, the word blameless, we might have heard that word many times. It simply means sound. It means wholesome. Sound, wholesome. It means above suspicion. It means upright. Say upright. Upright, righteous, okay? It means a a clear, I love this, a clear reputation. Got it? It It means simply this. Having integrity. Say that. And I love that word. My dad always have to, has, has, my dad always told me, Mijo, integrity is all you have. You mess that up, you mess up. Right? And so basically, blames is having integrity. And integrity is acting consistently with what you say you believe. Acting consistently with what you say you believe. In other words, you're not a hypocrite. Got it? So let's, let's move forward now. Verse 4. Those who forsake the law, the word of God, praise the wicked. Now I want to stop there. In Romans, write this down. Romans chapter 1, verse 32. Romans 1, verse 32. Paul pointed this out, and he spoke of those who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. In Romans 1, 32 says this. Who, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but, this is what he says, also approve of those who practice them. In today's culture, in today's culture, listen now, wickedness is applauded and righteousness is condemned. Yes, it is. We live in some sad times, friends. Culture, right, culture applauds wickedness. They applaud sin, and they condemn righteousness. They condemn truth. As Isaiah 5.20, he says, the prophet says, they call evil good and good evil. We're living in that time, friends. Then he says this, verse 4, the second part of verse 4, but those, and I love this, but those who keep the law, keep who? The law, God's word. Say God's word. Resist them. Who's them? The wicked. The wicked, those who are against God. But those who keep the law, if you keep the law, God's word, say amen, resist them. Godly people should be speaking truth in love, right? And speak against sin. Not endorsing sin or celebrating those who defy God. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 15, I love this. Philippians 2 Verse 15, Paul urged the believers at Philippi, this is what he says, to lead a righteous, say righteous. There's that blameless, right, that integrity, right, life of integrity. A righteous life, and thereby, when you live that way, and thereby shine as lights in a crooked and twisted generation. Are we living that time today? Yes, we live in a, in a, in a, in a generation, right, That's crooked and twisted. And Paul's saying, live in a way, right? 
Be blameless, live with integrity, uprightness, that your lights will shine before those who are wicked. Got it? So you guys ready for the lesson? Here's the lesson. Light dispels darkness. Light dispels darkness. Now, I said this a long time ago, but I love it. Don't work to remove the darkness. Just turn on the light. Don't remove, listen now, don't, don't work to remove the darkness. Don't work to remove the darkness. Just turn on the light. And I urge you, friends, that as you go about your day, you know what wickedness looks like. You know what our culture looks like. You know what our culture is, is pushing, their agenda. Just turn on the light and be that light around them. Amen? And know that you stand for truth and not for sin. Can I get an amen? Let's move on, verses 5 through 8. Evil men do not understand justice. Why? I'll tell you why. Because sin, say sin, clouds the mind to justice. Cultures that persist in evil become indifferent to justice. Get this, when something other than God, when something other than God becomes a priority, justice suffers. Are you guys with me? It suffers. Then he says this, but those who seek the Lord, say seek the Lord, understand it, speaking of justice, fully. Those who seek God, those who seek his word, understand justice. Why? Because we know that God is a God of justice. He's a just God. And if we serve him, we're going to obey him. Amen? And the law. Verse 6. Better a, a poor man whose walk is blameless than a rich man whose ways are perverse. In other words, uh, uh, whose ways are twisted or manipulated. Ways are warped. So what he's saying, it's better, it's better to be right with God. Say right with God. Okay, right with God and lacking in worldly goods than to have material goods and comfort and be spiritually doomed. Better, say better, come on. Better to be poor with integrity, integrity, than to be wealthy and dishonest and perverse. Listen, we are defined more by our character than by our bank account or our financial wealth. Because character and integrity means everything. Amen? Better a poor man, woman, whose walk is blameless. I love that. Verse 7. He who keeps the law, the word of God, is a discerning son, but a companion of gluttons, say gluttons, disgraces his father. So this verse here, what it does, it distinguishes between the wise son who honors his father, I'll say honors his mother by following the law, following the word, while the foolish son the foolish son or daughter who disgraces his father and mother by associating with gluttons. Now, gluttons in this context means those who indulge in any desire beyond reasonable limits. Okay? They abuse it, whatever they're doing. Spending time, listen now, spending time with people lacking self-control can lead to temptation or being caught up in someone else's consequences. Amen? You want to honor, listen, listen, you want to honor your father and mother, be one who follows God's word. Amen? Don't be a fool. Got it? Verse 8, he who increases his wealth by exorbitant 
interest or excessive interest amasses it for another who will be kind to the poor. Now, I want to say this. Interest was not allowed by the law of Moses. Got it? Interest was not allowed by the law of Moses. Loans were intended to assist the poor, not to exploit them, so the lender can become rich. You guys with me? So here in the text, here the threat is made that those who do this to the poor, in other words, those who profit from the poor will have it taken away from them by God and give it to someone who is kind to the poor. Wow. In other words, friends, this is it. Justice will overcome injustice. God will not allow oppressive criminals to have the last word because God has the last word. Now, if you're safe, say amen. The grace of God, and I want you to get this, the grace of God establishes the principle of helping others freely and not for gain. We are called to help others freely and not for gain. In other words, I'm not going to help this poor person or this less unfortunate person, right, to get something back. I'm just going to help them because I love them and because I love God. Amen? Verse 9, if anyone turns a deaf ear to the law, to God's word, even his prayers are detestable. That's heavy. In other words, you know what he's saying here? If you don't listen to God, then God will not listen to you. Bottom line. If you are deaf to God's law, if you are deaf to his instructions, if you are deaf to God's word, how then do you expect God to speak to you? Right? Write this down, Psalm 6618. Psalm 66:18. The psalmist writes this: "If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would, would have not listened." Isaiah 59:1 and 2, Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2. "Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor is ear too dull to hear, but your iniquities, your sin, have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Now stay with me here. Having God pay attention to our prayers is related toward having the right heart towards him and his word. You want God to hear your prayers as believers here? Then have the right heart toward him and his word. And the only prayer that God hears from a non-believer is a prayer of repentance. Amen? Verse 10, he who leads the upright along an evil path will fall into his own trap. What he's saying is if we wound the weak conscience of a believer, we are committing a great sin. Now I want you to write this down, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 12, and we covered this extensively in our series in 1 Corinthians months ago, about a year ago. 1 Corinthians 8 12 says, But when you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. In other words, don't corrupt other people. Got it? Judgment awaits those who, listen, lead the innocent astray. Now write this down, Matthew chapter 18, verse 6. Matthew chapter 18, verse 6. And Jesus says this, whoever causes one of these little ones, little ones there is referring to young in the faith. Got it? Say young in the faith. Whoever causes one of these little ones, young in the faith, who believe in me to sin, 
it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Wow. Listen, God takes very seriously this matter of leading someone astray. And I want to tell you, friends, it will never go unnoticed and it will never, never go unpunished. You with me? So here's a lesson. You ready for the lesson? Here we go. Be careful how we influence others. Be careful how we influence others. Every single person here right now, every Christian has a certain amount of influence on others. We all do, right? Right? We influence by our words. We influence by our examples. We influence by our advice. Wherever we're at, whoever we're hanging out with, we are influencing them. Got it? We are influencers. Question, who do you hang out with? Think about it. Who do you hang out with? Who are the people that influence you? Let me ask you this, friends. Is your influence, when you're hanging around those who are around you, is your influence bringing them closer to God or away from God? Huh? And it's a serious sin if you're causing them to stray away from God. And he says this, but the blameless will receive a what? A good inheritance. God knows how to make sure that the blameless will inherit good. Amen? That's why it pays to be upright, blameless, okay? Not sinless, but blameless. One who lives with integrity. Verses 11 to 13, a rich man, verse 11, may be wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who has discernment, say discernment, not just a poor man, but a poor man who has what? Discernment, understanding, sees through him, sees through the rich person, right? And so this poor person who has discernment sees how deluded the rich are. There's no fool like the rich fool. You guys with me? The rich man often is conceited, but, but the humble poor man can see right through them. Then I want to say this. It's not just any poor person who sees through the conceit of a wealthy person, but the one who has discernment and understanding, right? Because sometimes a poor person can be just as absorbed in getting rich as, as a wealthy person, right? Now, I want to say this before we move forward. Wealth is not wrong. It's not wrong to be wealthy. You guys with me? It's not wrong to make money, to have money. It, it's not a bad thing. But it can be dangerous, and I'll tell you why it can be dangerous, because it tempts us towards self-reliance. We can lose our sense of need. I don't need God. I'm doing good. Fine. It's dangerous. You guys with me? Verse 12, when the righteous triumph, there is great elation. But when the wicked rise to power, men go into hiding. So this verse is talking about what people do depending on what kind of leaders they have. And this is, this, th there's great rejoicing, what he's saying, there's great rejoicing when righteousness is victorious, right? We rejoice when we see that righteousness is victorious, right? But he's saying, when wickedness wins, get out of the way. Because it's bad. Verse 13, we'll spend some time here. He who conceals his or her sins does not prosper. Did you get that? But, say but, whoever confesses and renounces them finds what? Mercy. 
What's the title of my message today? <laughs> sin, confess, right? Sin, confess. Let's read that again. He who conceals his or her sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds what? Mercy. One of the earliest, most common, and most foolish human errors is the attempt to hide our sins from God. Right? Listen, there's nothing God does not know, and there's nothing he cannot see. You with me? And what comes to mind as I read this text is Adam and Eve. And you know the story when God you know, confronted Adam with his sin. Adam made the first excuse in history. He took it like a man and blamed Eve. Right? And he said this, the woman you put here, he's talking to God. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. She was... Deceived, he was disobedient. What also comes to mind is David, Solomon's dad. And David committed some horrible sins. He committed adultery, if you know the story, right? And he got Bathsheba pregnant, and then he had her husband what? Put to death? Huh? Then he married Bathsheba, and then they had a baby, and the baby died. And it seemed like, seemed like David got away with the sin, right? But he was miserable. He was miserable. He didn't confess his sin until he was confronted by the prophet Nathan. And Nathan, through the power of God, set him straight. When he was confronted, David stopped hiding his sin, and he found forgiveness. Someone say amen. Now I want you to listen, listen to what David wrote in Psalm 32, verses 1 through 5. Write that down. I'm going to read it to you. Powerful portion of Scripture. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I, this is what he says. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long when he hid his sin. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Whew. Then, say then, I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Somebody please say amen. In our text, back to verse 13, in our text, two key words deserve special attention. I want you to follow me here. The first one is confess. Say confess. The text says, but whoever confesses, say confesses. Confess means to tell the whole truth, okay? When we confess, we are not only admitting that we're sinning or admitting our sin, we're also agreeing with God's assessment of what we did. Got it? God's saying, that's bad. Yeah, God, that's bad, and I did it. That's bad. You're saying, say amen. True confession, say true. Not just confession, but true confession begins with acknowledging that God is God and that we have knowingly, say knowingly, violated his word, violated his standards. The second key word is renounce. Say that. Look at the text. And renounce them. He says, but whoever confesses and renounces them. Renounce means what? We know this, right? To abandon, to forsake. 
desert, to, to turn around from. Now, if you're safe, say amen. True confession, there's that word again, true confession always leads to renunciation. Got it? Now listen, if after confessing our sin, we quickly return to it, or we long to return to it, we have missed the teaching of this verse, and we will not find God's mercy. You see, we must not only confess our sins, but also renounce them, forsake them to obtain God's mercy. Look at the last part of verse 13. But whoever confesses and renounces them, if you do that, what? Finds mercy. No confessing, no renouncing, guess what? No mercy. So are you guys ready for the lesson? Simple. Confess our sin. Confess our sin. Confess it. Don't hide it. Don't conceal it. Confess it to God. Confess it to God. Hey, we're saved, but we're saved sinners. Yeah? And in 1 John 1, 9, I love this portion of Scripture. 1 John 1, 9, this is good news, right? If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So we, remember, confess it, but not only confess it, but forsake it, renounce our sins. And towards the end of our service, we're going to take a time before I dismiss you to stop and meditate on God and deal with the sins that perhaps are lingering within our lives. I don't know. Okay? Maybe, maybe right now you you got a clean heart, and that's good. But we're going to take some time to do that towards the end of the service. Can, can someone agree with me and say amen to that? Verse 14. Blessed is the man who always, always, woo, love that, fears the Lord. Now I want to stop there, and I want, you, I want to remind you, because you might remember this back in chapter 8, verse 13, Chapter 8, verse 13 of Proverbs, it says, To fear the Lord is to what? Hate evil. Do you get that? To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. In chapter 9, verse 10 of Proverbs, I love this, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. Right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So question, how do you know if you got the fear of the Lord? How do you know if you're living with the fear of the Lord? How do you know, friends? How do you know? Hate sin. That's how you know. You know that you hate sin. You hate evil behavior. That's how you know you fear God. All right? Now, you see, as humans, there is in us an innate nature that gravitates to sin, right? It gravitates to evil. We're drawn to it. But wisdom, say, say wisdom, rejects, reject, rejects, rejects that attraction. Wisdom, say wisdom, sees the danger hiding in the shadows. And that's why it's so important for you and I to live with wisdom daily because it's wisdom that says, hey, when wisdom, when we see, wisdom says, that's bad, don't go there. Don't watch that. Don't hang out with those people. That's what wisdom does. It sees the danger hiding in the shadows and says, don't do that. Got it? But he who hardens his heart falls into trouble. As we say, one who hardens their heart, their soul can no longer feel, feel, respond, or opt for a new direction. That the hardened heart is fixed 
and unbelief. It's fixed and un. This is now unbending defiance to God. And the result, the result is disastrous trouble. But he who hardens his heart falls into trouble. Verses 15 through 18, like a roaring lion or a charging bear is a wicked man or ruler ruling over a helpless people. So lions and, and bears are strong animals, right? Strong. They, they, they attack, they kill. Well, he's saying a wicked ruler is like these animals. Doesn't care about his people. Doesn't care at all. And he will attack them and he will even kill them. Verse 16, a tyrannical ruler lacks judgment. I want to stop there. This makes me think about Solomon's son, Rehoboam. If you know the story, friends, he listened to his unwise young friends who had no wisdom, right? He rejected the wisdom of the wiser older men and oppressed the nation and ended up splitting the nation. But, say but, he who hates ill-gotten gain will enjoy a long life or a long Rain. So in other words, he's saying it's the righteous ruler, it's the righteous leader who will remain in power, and they're often loved by the people. They inspire confidence and security in their people. Verse 17, a man tormented by the guilt of murder will be a fugitive till death. Let no one support him or her. Now, he's saying this, simply this, a murderer should not be assisted in his or her effort to flee must be held accountable. Verse 18, he whose walk, in other words, pattern of behavior is blameless, okay? He whose walk, pattern of behavior is blameless, is kept safe. Got it? The believer may encounter trials, and we know that, right? Hardships, but God will not let his redeemed, redeemed ones, suffer permanent defeat. But he whose ways are perverse will suddenly fall. In other words, a person who leads a perverse, wicked life has no one to rely on in troubled times and he will experience sudden calamity in the life or the next life. I want you to write this down. Chapter 10, verse 25. In chapter 10, verse 25, the proverb says, when the storm has swept by, the wicked are gone, but the righteous stand firm forever. Amen? Those whose walk is blameless is kept safe. But he whose ways are perverse will suddenly fall. I love the fact that the righteous stand firm forever. Verse 19 and 20 through 20. He who works his land will have abundant food, but the one who chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. So, so this verse is one of the many recommendations of industriousness as opposed to laziness. And what he's saying is this. Solomon's saying the diligent worker will have plenty of bread while the lazy person will have plenty of poverty. And he talks about the slothful person many times in this book, right? Verse 20, a faithful man will be richly blessed, but one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. And what this implies to, I believe, implies that uh, this implies that get-rich-quick schemes are nearly always questionable. True? And what he's saying, it's better to work diligently, better to work steady, accumulating slowly. Now I want you to follow me here. A faithful person who works 
with, listen now, works with in the rules is blessed. That's what? Integrity. A person, right, of integrity. A faithful person who works, say faithful, who works within the rules is blessed. An unfaithful person, he's saying here, chasing wealth and not caring how he gets his wealth, willing to cheat and willing to compromise to gain wealth, will pay the price. Right? So it's better to live with integrity. Number three, here we go. Partiality, point number three, partiality and punishment. Say that. A stable government, blessings of the blameless, partiality and punishment. Verse 21 to 24. If you're still with me, say amen. Okay, verse 21. To show partiality is not good, yet a man will do wrong for a piece of bread. Solomon's saying is this, valuing the person more than what is true and just destroys proper administration. Okay? This can lead to bribes. And they may be tempted to perjure themselves for a piece of bread, he's saying. In other words, friends, even a small bribe, a small bribe can have disastrous results, disastrous results in the maintenance of order and justice in society, in the courtroom. Verse 22. A stingy man or miser is eager to get rich and is unaware that poverty awaits him. This is a person who becomes so obsessed, obsessed with money obsessed with making money. And the meaning is either that the miser lacks the wisdom to gain and keep wealth or that God's justice will not allow the miser to be rich. Listen, God's blessings do not rest, they do not rest on the stingy and ungenerous person. You guys with me? Verse 23. He who rebukes a man, corrects a man, will in the end gain more favor than he who has, what? A flattering tongue. We talked about this last week a bit, right? About being honest with people. Don't flatter people, right? So rebuke, correction may not, may, may not make you feel good, okay? But it will help you become better. Flattery, on the other hand, flattery will make you feel good, but it won't help you become better. Got it? So if you're one who gives correction to someone that you love, praise God, friends, in the end, you have favor. If you flatter someone, that's not a good thing. Amen? And if you're one that takes in the correction, which we should, right? If it's godly, loving correction, then guess what, friends? Uh, we receive that. Right? We receive that. And we have favor. Verse 24, he who robs his father or mother and says, it's not wrong. He is partner, say partner, to him who destroys. For a child to steal from their parents is immoral, but sadly common. Very common today, right? And this, what this does, this denounces the person who steals his parents' money, takes from his parents, and he or she imagines that they deserve the money. Well, I deserve it. Okay, so I, I want it now. Notice what it says. He who robs his father or mother and says it's not wrong, he or she, what, is partner to him or her who destroys. In other words, the one who steals from their parents, they're right next to a destroyer. Someone who spreads 
and even loves destruction. Sad. And I have seen children, adults, that are taken from their parents, right? Stealing from their parents. They are, listen now, they are a partner to him who destroys. You ready for the lesson? Here we go. Honor your father and mother. Honor them. This is no joke. Honor your father. Don't got to honor their personality, but you must honor their position. Their God-given position in your life. Exodus 20, 12. We know this, right? Ten Commandments. It made the top ten, right? Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. That's the only commandment with a promise. Amen? So we must honor our parents. If your folks are still alive, honor them. Love them. Amen? Don't be a destroyer. Right? A partner with one who's a destroyer. Fourth point, final point, is greed and generosity. Say that. Greed and generosity. If you're still with me, say amen. Verses 25 to 26. A greedy man, your Bibles might render as proud, man stirs up dissension, but he who trusts in the Lord, I love that, say trust in the Lord, will what? Will what? Prosper. Be blessed. And what he's saying here is those who act selfishly put themselves at greater risk of negative consequences. In contrast, those who humbly rely on God and trust Him, say trust Him, can expect blessings. Amen? Verse 26, he who trusts in himself is a what? Come on, say it. A what? A fool. But he who walks in wisdom, I love this, is kept safe. You ought to underline that, highlight that, circle that. Thank God for that verse. But he, she who walks in wisdom is kept safe. Listen, when we, when we, are, when we are confident in and rely on, on our own wisdom and strength, we're fools. You want to be a fool? Then be like that. Rely on your own wisdom. Rely on your own strength. That's a fool. When we walk, on the other hand, when we walk in God's wisdom, guess what? We're safe and we're blessed. Amen? Now I want you to, to write this down. You can turn to it if you want. Let's go back to chapter 3 of Proverbs, verses 5 through 6. Chapter 3, verses 5. Six. I can read it to you, but if you want to turn that, you can as well. Turn to that, you can as well. And I love what it says, because we're talking about he who trusts in himself, right, is a fool. But he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. Chapter 3, verses 5 through 6 of Proverbs says, Trust in the Lord. Trust in who? With all your what? Heart. In other words, this trust must be wholeheartedly, not half-heartedly, right? And lean not on your own understanding. Right there, he, this, is, this is warning us about self-deception. And what it does, it warns us about leaning on our own intellect, leaning on self rather than on God and his wisdom and his word. Are you guys with me? Warren Wiersbe said this regarding to that verse. This warning does not suggest that God's children turn off their brains and ignore their intelligence or common sense. It simply cautions us not to depend on our own wisdom and experience, not to depend on our own wisdom or experience or the wisdom and experience of others. 
The problem is this, friends, with some believers. The problem is this. With some believers, God is too small and their head is too big. You guys with me? In other words, I can handle this, God. I don't need you right now, God. I think I can get through this without you, God. I can get through this with my own wisdom. I'm smart enough. I got the intellect. I'm pretty smart, God. You know what that is? That's self-confidence. You're exalting your learning. You're exalting yourself. But the, the sixth verse of Proverbs 3 says this, verse 6. In all your ways, say all your ways, acknowledge him. And, and what's the result of that? And he will make your paths what? Straight. It means we must so, say so, say so, so acknowledge that his ways, his word, and character shape our choices. Got it? And direct our lives. To acknowledge him means, listen now, more literally, to know him. The Hebrew term implies the richer content of being aware of and having fellowship with him. In other words, in every area of life, we are to recognize, we are to acknowledge, appreciate, and treasure the knowledge, wisdom, and presence of God. In other words, God, I acknowledge your sovereignty. God, I acknowledge your presence. God, I acknowledge your power. God, I acknowledge your wisdom. Everywhere I go, everything I do, every problem and situation I'm faced with, I will acknowledge you. And you see, it's there, say there, that he makes our path straight. That we begin to walk and live in his perfect will for our lives. Listen, God, God, the God who made you for life can and will direct your life. Now, trust him. You say, say amen for answers and values and guidance. We shouldn't look within. We should look to him and his word. That's walking in wisdom. It's there. Say, it's there. It's there that we're kept safe. It's there that he makes our paths straight. Amen? So who are you trusting in? Huh? Yourself or God? Who are you trusting in? Yourself or God? God. Verses 27 to 28. He who gives to the poor will lack nothing. In other words, God blesses sincere generosity. A truly generous person, he's saying here, doesn't miss what they have given away. You give it, you're not going to miss it because God's going to honor you for it. But he who closes his eyes to them, to the poor, receives many curses. The person who refuses to see poverty or to ignore poverty and the needs of the poor, God will not bless. God will not bless. Verse 28, we're almost done here. And this proverb, this proverb is a variation of verse 12. You go back to verse 12, it's a variation of that verse. And what it does, it's reversing the lines. Verse 28, when the wicked rise to power, people go into hiding. But when the wicked perish, the righteous thrive. Say the righteous thrive. In other words, when the wicked people, when wicked people come to places of prominence and rule, it's bad for the community, it's bad for the nation, it's bad for the world. When the wicked and their influence, he's saying, pass or perish, the righteous increase, they thrive along with their influence. And this is a blessing for a community, this is a blessing for a nation. Amen? So here's the lesson, I'm going to let you go. Are you ready for the lesson? Pray for godly government. 
pray for godly government. Did you know that there's power in prayer? Did you know that? Well, obviously, we're not in government. We're not there. We're not involved in that. We don't, we, well, obviously, we don't legislate. But guess what? We can pray. We can pray. And my prayer is that God would just begin to rise up godly leadership within this nation. Amen? So that the righteous will thrive and God will be glorified. Amen? Why don't we all stand?